Well, good morning, Journey. Have you ever heard of offers or seen offers that as soon as you glimpse it, you know it is too good to be true? It, it's like seeing that house listed for, you know, uh, $200,000, but it's in a million-dollar neighborhood. You think, what a great deal, but you know there's something not quite right about the offer. Or, or you see a two-carat diamond ring listed on sale for $2,500 and not $25,000. And then you read the fine print and it says, artificially grown in a lab. And I, I, realized, I found out this week that that's a real thing. Or another one I've seen is guaranteed acceptance life insurance policies. You know, they're guaranteed to take your money, but not guaranteed to pay out. My favorite one that I have succumbed to, unfortunately, in the past is cable company promotions. You ever get sucked in by those where it's like three months of, isn't this awesome? It's only $3.99, you know, and then the rest of the year you're going, I can't believe I'm paying this much. Even fast food is an offer too good to be true, right? It's fast, but whether it's food or not is debatable, you know, and the, and the side effects have a lasting impression on your waistline. Well, today we pick back up in our series going through some highlights from the book of Luke in our series called For Everyone. And today we come to chapter 9, and as we do in chapter 9, we're going to see what Jesus offers us. And as we look at his offers, there's no bait and switch, there's, there's nothing hidden, there's, there's no fine print to read, because what Jesus offers us is good and true. And it's all laid out for us in the Bible. And as we will dig into chapter 9 today, we're going to see what Jesus offers us is clear. That, he, that when we follow Jesus, we receive purpose and we find satisfaction. Well, first we, we receive purpose. This purpose that we receive comes from the person of Jesus who is fully God and fully human. And the purpose that he gives to us as a follower is, he says, I want you to be my messenger. Well, let's look at the first few verses of chapter 9 from Luke today, and we'll see how this plays out. When Jesus had called the 12 together, meaning the disciples, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he told them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bread, no, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. And if people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out. And went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. I love how Jesus does this. He calls his disciples together. He gathers them around him, and he says, this is what I want you to do. And then he sends them out. He gathers for this instruction, this teaching, and then they scatter on mission. And he says, here's what I want you to talk about. I want you to talk about the good news of the kingdom. Now, as we read this, we've got to understand there's some essential parts of that message when we talk about it. 
One is that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of his one and only son, Jesus. And because of who Jesus is, another essential part is that he calls us to put our loyalty, our trust, and our allegiance into his hands completely and totally. And when we do that, then he calls us to live on mission. Well, that's the good news and, and what life in the kingdom, what, what purpose that we have. But when he says, proclaim the kingdom and proclaim the good news, and we as Jesus followers, we tend to overcomplicate that, don't we? When we see that word proclaim, it kind of freaks us out and we think, well, it, that, that means a Sunday morning sermon. Well, you don't have to stand up here on Sunday morning and give a sermon to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. More often, you know what it looks like? It's like having a conversation in the coffee shop about what God is doing in your life. Or it's, it's having that discussion with your child in the car as you're heading home from school and, and he brings up something that happened that day or some, some issue with, with a friend. And you begin to filter that and navigate that through the eyes of Scripture. Or, or it's sitting with your family around the table over a meal. And you begin to talk about your day, you begin to talk about your week, and again, you're, you're, you're looking at that through the eyes of being a Jesus follower. And sometimes it's just how you act around your friends, how you act at the game, how, how you act, you know, when nobody's looking. So it's a message that's spoken, but it's also a message that's lived out. St. Francis of Assisi was attributed to saying that uh, we should preach the gospel wherever you go and, if necessary, use words. And I like that. Well, you know, wh whether he truly said it or not is debatable, but it just reminds us that preaching the gospel is what we say, but also how we live out our life. And doing that really goes against the cultural flow, does it? Because we're called to live in a kingdom that's completely different because culture says you talk about yourself. You elevate yourself. You talk about how wonderful and awesome and great you are. But life in the kingdom says that we talk about our king, which is Jesus. And we lower ourselves. Now, culture says, on the other hand, that we create our own self-image, we, we choose our own identity, but life in the kingdom says that our identity is found in our king and when we immerse our lives into him. Life in the kingdom says, die to yourself and live for the king. Put your, all of your allegiance and loyalty into the hands of Jesus. But when we're called to you know, proclaim this good news, as it says, proclaim the kingdom, to talk about Jesus and life in his kingdom, it can be a little intimidating. It can be a little fearful. I remember a couple years ago, I was asked to be the chapel speaker at Central, Central Iowa Bible Camp, which is a church camp right outside of Des Moines, and I was asked to be the, the speaker for the fourth and fifth grade week of church camp. And let me tell you, nothing is more intimidating than standing in front of 65 squirmy fourth and fifth graders. And, you know, by the end of the week, they're starting to, starting to smell a little bit. And you're trying to figure out, okay, how do I talk to these elementary age kids? 
I mean, I would, I would much rather stand up here on a Sunday morning than talk to adults and have to talk to fifth graders and try to communicate the gospel to that message at, at their level. Well, I quickly realized that I, that I can't do it the same way that I talk to you on Sunday morning. So I, I had to shift gears and realize, okay, I'm just going to tell some stories about what, what I've learned or what God has done in my life. And I'm going to tell these stories that have a point, and they point to, point to Jesus. And I thought, wow, that's what Jesus did in his parables, right? He would tell stories that had a point that would point them to the kingdom of God. And I ended up having a great week with these fourth and fifth grade students. And I realized that, you know, they, even though they smell a little bit, they, they are kind of fun. Well, well, uh, well an, another time when I was on staff at First Christian Church in Council Bluffs, it was Vacation Bible School week. And as the week uh, got closer, uh, the volunteers were signing up, and, but they had a need for a preschool leader. And by then, all of, the, all of the fun jobs for VBS were taken. I mean, snacks, they were like signed up right away, crafts, games, all of those, all of those easy jobs were taken, and all that was left was a teacher for preschool. And I'm like, all right, there's a need. I signed up, and I stepped way outside of my comfort zone. Because I remember the, the first night, right, where we're, uh, I'm there, and I have 10 three- and four-year-olds, and I have them all week long. And I'm thinking, Lord Jesus, what did I do? So we're sitting in the circle. We're, you know, we got our crisscross legs, and they're all just sitting there looking at me, waiting for me to say something, do something, you know. And I thought, well, I'm going to start with something really deep and, and profound. So I asked them, what's their favorite breakfast cereal, you know. And that began just a week of, of interaction and conversations. And by the end of the week, you know, they're giving me hugs. We're high-fiving each other. We're knuckle-bumping. And I had a great time. But it was a step way outside my comfort zone to deal with, with three- and four-year-olds. But not until I did it that I see God show up and, and be able to, to talk to them about what does it mean to be a Jesus follower when you're four years old or, when, or in fourth grade or 40 years old. And, and like anything, the, the more we do that, the more we step into this purpose that God has given us, the little easier it becomes. The more experience we have under our belt, the easier it is to talk about Jesus. The easier it is to, to uh, begin to turn conversations towards spiritual things. But then just when we get comfortable, you know what God does? He's like, okay, now that, now that you're comfortable there, I want you over here. And for me, it was like, okay, now that I'm comfortable speaking in front of adults, I want you to speak in front of four-year-olds and fourth graders. You know, but if our, if our purpose comes from the person of Jesus, then really all we need to do is to point people in his direction. And for us personally, that means just building a relationship with him in any way that we can. And as we're going through life, as we're interacting with other people, we're, we're pointing other people to Jesus as well. But without Jesus in our life, we're left in this state of purposelessness. I mean, that's a long word, but not a fun place to be. That's where we're just going through life with no lasting aim, no, no, eternal, um, uh, no eternal meaning. We might flip here and there, you know, trying to find purpose in one thing or another, but we realize that, you know, in the big scheme of things, it doesn't last. It might bring fulfillment for a season, for a moment, but then you realize, yeah, that's just, it's here and gone. 
There's no anchor or foundation that keeps us centered on what's truly important. There, there's a, a sailing term um, that, or a situation that, that uh, ships can get in that's not a good thing. It's called drag anchor. So when, you're, when your ship or your boat, whatever, is dragging anchor, that, that, to translate that into flatland or Nebraskan means that you're in deep trouble. Because the waves have come up, the wind has come up so much so that what you thought was secure, holding you in position, is now broken loose. And when you drag anchor, you're headed for the rocks, you're headed for the shore, you're headed for a reef, someplace where you don't want to go. Nothing good ever happens from when a ship drags anchor. Well, without a spiritual anchor in our life, one that's embedded firmly into who we are. Every time the cultural winds blow, every time cultural tides shift, it's going to pull us whichever way culture goes. And with every shift, with every tide change, we are dragged closer to danger, spiritual danger. So we find ourselves, you know, going through culture, and culture says, okay, this is what you need to believe, or this is what's important. So you go over there, and then there's a shift, and then we're over here, and we find ourselves in trouble. But folks, our purpose is found when we center our lives on Jesus. He's our anchor, and he's not moving. He's not going anywhere. So embracing Jesus means that we, we redefine our entire life and, and reason for being on him. And that purpose that he gives us, that gets us out of bed every morning. It keeps us moving forward when things are rocky. And it gives us clarity when life gets confusing or cloudy. So you want to know your purpose in life? Get to know Jesus. Get, if you want to get close to him, then get close to his word. Spend time in scripture. He's our anchor that keeps us going when, when life throws us the storms. So when we follow Jesus, there's no bait and switch, there's no mystery, but, uh, but we receive purpose. But also when we follow Jesus, we find satisfaction. So chapter 9, after Jesus gathers his disciples together and sends them out saying, I want you to proclaim the good news, proclaim the kingdom, and a few verses later, later on in chapter 9, the disciples begin to see what that looks like tangibly in action. So picking up in verse 10, it says, When the apostles returned, they, they've just returned from their little mission trip that they went on. When they returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who, were, who needed healing. And then look what happens next. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him, came to Jesus and said, send the crowd away so that they can go to surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place. So there's a little tension developing here. Verse 13, I love how Jesus replies to this situation. He says, you give them something to eat. And they answered, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all of this crowd. And then parenthetically, they say about 5,000 men were there. So Jesus said to his disciples, 
have them sit down in groups of about 50. And the disciples did so, and everybody sat down. And then Jesus, he's take, he takes the five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. And then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to all the people. And then look at what verse 17 says. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. So God provides food in a miraculous way. But that's not, not the first time that, that God has done so. Back in the Old Testament, we read about this happening when Moses led the people of Israel. If you remember back in, in the book of Exodus, second book of, of the Bible, uh, God does this miraculous thing by leading his people Israel out of slavery, out of this bondage that they were in, in the country of Egypt. And after he leads them out of that and just shows his power and conquers the Egyptian, they're out in the wilderness and the people begin to grumble and complain. And they say to Moses, their leaders, like, we want to go back to Egypt because at least we had food there. So God says in, in Exodus chapter 16, I'm going to rain down bread from heaven. He says, I'm going to provide for your needs. I'm going to provide bread and meat. So he does so, and it's this. Um, every morning they go out to pick up the bread that's on the ground, and, and Scripture says it's kind of like dew-like flakes. And they, they weren't really sure what it was, so they name it manna. And manna literally means, what is it? Now, I, I had this image in my mind of, of, you know, an adolescent child sitting at the kitchen table. And, and, and you put the plate of dinner in front of him, and they kind of lean in and, and look up and say, what is it? I don't know if that's ever happened to you. I might, hypothetically, it might have happened in my house a few times. And then, then your children just kind of like pick at it for the whole meal, you know, kind of grumbling and complaining the whole time. And then later in the evening, you hear them back in the kitchen pouring a bowl of cereal, right? Well, God, God provided for, these, for this crowd here this day, as we read in Luke chapter 9. And it says they were satisfied. You know, back in Exodus, God provided, but they still grumbled and complained. They still, you know, were not happy. And now Jesus comes along in Luke 9, and he brings something different. See, I think a, a, the lesson we can learn there is that Jesus can supply and satisfy our deepest needs. Now, we don't know how this miracle occurred, just that it did. You know, it, it said that, that Jesus, he took the, took the loaves, he gave, gave thanks. In other words, he's given thanks to his Father for providing this. He, he broke it so that they could distribute it. But we, we do know that it was in a remote place, probably a desert region, and that, that interesting how they gave the number. They had five loaves and two fish. Now, we don't know what kind of bread. Was it white sandwich bread? We don't know. Was it walleye? You know, was it bluegills? You know, was it catfish from the Missouri River? No, probably not. We don't, we don't know the specifics, but we do know that Jesus had a point to make. So there's 5,000 men plus women and children. And he has them, uh, he breaks them up into groups of, a, of about 50. So there's a, there's a hundred groups, probably more. And he gives his 12 disciples this bread and fish that he's just broken. 
And he says, I want you to hand this out to the 100 plus groups. So there's, each disciple would do probably 10 groups or more. And the, as the disciples begin to hand out the bread and fish, they begin to tangibly see what life in the kingdom is like. And w- with each bread that they're handing out, with each fist, <laughs> Jesus is saying, trust me. Remember, you started with five loaves and two fish, and they're handing them out, and they, they get you know, past number five, and they, be, they get to group six and seven, and they're starting to get the hint. And by, by group eight, nine, and ten, they're realizing, okay, Jesus, you're asking me to trust you because I'm physically seeing what life in the kingdom is like, that Jesus not only supplies, but he satisfies. And with every slice of bread and every fillet of fish, Jesus is saying, I provide every need. Trust me. And then, then to drive it home, he sends out the disciples, and they pick up all these leftovers. You know, I just picture the disciples packing them up in Tupperware containers, sending them home for leftover lunch for, for the whole week, you know. So early, those first few verses of chapter 9, they're proclaiming the good news. They're proclaiming the kingdom of God. And here in this feeding of the 5,000, they're seeing it in a tangible, real way. They're seeing this kingdom of God in action. And now they know beyond a doubt that with Jesus, things are different. It's a different kind of kingdom. It's a different kind of king on the throne. And it's a kingdom where lives are changed forever. And you know what, Journey? We are called to live and follow this same different kind of king. And things are not the same when we live in the kingdom of God. Things are different from the culture that we live in. Things are different from what the world says. Different priorities, different focus, different intent. And Jesus calls us to live with a purpose that only he can give. I think one of the points here of this feeding of the 5,000 is that Jesus can take what we have and multiply it. But we first have to give it to Jesus. You know, from our human eyes, we we see crisis, we see obstacles, we we see that our resources are not enough. That that was where the disciples were at at the beginning of this uh, scenario. You know, we see problems as obstacles, and the disciples are, you know, they're like many of us. They assess the situation, they see this crowd of people, they look around, we're in this remote, desolate, desert place, and they start to do some quick math. They're like, okay, Five loaves of bread, 5,000 people, add a couple of fish. Answer, not enough food. Solution, send them into town, you know, send them away to buy food. But Jesus sees this obstacle as an opportunity to teach us and teach the disciples what life in the kingdom is like. So in front of them, there's this food storage, and Jesus says in verse 13, you give them something to eat. I would have loved to have seen the, the disciples' expression that day. What? Us? Jesus, we, you know, here's, here's my lunch. That's all I got. And Jesus prays, and things change. And I love it how this very end of the passage, where it says, they all ate and were satisfied. I mean, I, I believe the crowd savored the food that day. I mean, it was probably like fresh-caught filet of fish. It was like warm breadsticks from Olive Garden. 
You know, you just can't stop eating them. Or it's like those rolls at Texas Roadhouse that are warm with the honey butter. You know, it's, that's what I picture going on here. I mean, this wasn't just sustenance. This was good food. And they knew that this was different. But you know what? When we release what we have, and when we give over who we are to Jesus, incredible things can happen. But first, we have to give our lives over to him. When we do so, we gain a deeper understanding of who God is, and we gain insight on what he wants to do in our lives. And we see firsthand what he can do in our world. I've had the opportunity uh, to take a few different mission trips to the country of Haiti. And, country that, and Haiti is a country that's only 90 miles from Florida, but it feels like 9,000 because it is so different. You can fly there in, in less than an hour, but when you land, it, it feels like, you know, it well, truly is a third world country within our hemisphere. And one of the missions that I worked with was called Christianville, and, and they, had, they had, you know, clinics and hospitals and, and dental and eye. There's just a lot of ministry going on um, in this area. Well, during one of the visits, uh, we, we got talking with, with one of the physicians, one of the doctors that was there, and he told the story about uh, he had been back home to the States, came back with a suitcase full of clothes, and, and he wanted to give away these clothes to people that were truly in need. And, and he said, sometimes the people that hang around the mission compound, the mission buildings, they're always there for, for handouts, for freebie stuff. So he talked to one of his nurses and said, I, I want you to take me to your village. So they, they loaded up a truck one day and they drove up into the hills far away from the, from the mission homes and clinics. And he said, the further up in the hills we got, the more it looked like something out of a National Geographic magazine. You know, the, the buildings were, were built with, you know, palm branches and things got really rustic. There was no running water. There was no electricity. So, so they got to this nurse's, her home village, and he, he opened up the suitcase and just said, you know, uh, there's free clothes. And I remember what he said. He said, there, there wasn't a lot of clothes in the suitcase, but the clothes did not run out until everybody in that village had something to wear. You know what? Jesus is still in the business of multiplying what we give him. God is still in the business of changing people's lives. And when we give ourselves to him, when we follow Jesus, we receive purpose like, like nothing else can offer. And we find satisfaction that only he can give. We have to give our lives to him. We have to put our lives into his hand and say, Jesus, I might not be much, but here I am. Take what I give you and use it for your purposes. And he can multiply it beyond our imagination. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for just uh, the, the teaching that, that you bring us from Scripture today. How you give us purpose, how you give us satisfaction. But Lord, I pray for each person in this room here this morning. That, that they might give their life over to you. So that they can find just the purpose and satisfaction that only you can give. So, Lord, we thank you that you make this possible because you sent Jesus to us. So we pray this in his name. Amen.